Marsha was kind enough to come all the way from Daegu to hang out with the TKL crew early on a Sunday morning. We talked about her poetry, her creative process, teaching and educational career, as well as her upcoming projects. Marsha was also kind enough to share a poem with us. Thank you so much for coming by. This episode is brought to you by Blanket Fort Experience. This is a channel that brings storybooks to life. Watch and enjoy the music and sound effects with your favorite books, or you can read along with your own book. New episodes are released a few times a week. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. This channel can benefit parents, teachers, and any storybook enthusiast. Subscribe now, the Blanket Fort Experience. You are now tuned into This Korean Life with your hosts, Brian and Nate. Koreans feel that? Yeah, like fresh university interns. We have to teach them like, this is your project, you have to make it your own. Mm, like you have to think for yourself. I, yeah, I have to try and teach You don't kids. have to like do these three things and then your work is done. Oh. I have to try and teach kids how to think. Never mind, just think for yourselves. Like, you have to think without just stealing shit from the internet all day. <laughs> like I want your opinion. I didn't ask for you to copy and paste the whole damn assignment. I, w- I want your opinions. I want your ideas, your feelings. I don't know. When I was in uni, I was brain dead. Was that just me? <laughs> I was. I think I was. Honestly, I was too young, too young to be in uni. I think a lot of a lot of kids here maybe experience the same thing. We expect too much of. Same with your kids. I mean, you look, I don't know. No, I, a, I yell at my a, kids for some of, for some a level of maturity or life experience. I think that is very very different between here and the West, where you grow up much faster. You have a lot more life experience. You don't have all A pluses or, or the academic mm-hmm. resume that Koreans have, but that's the downfall when they get to university and there is no structure or not as much where you have to do stuff on your own. And, you know, a lot of the men look at, they're going to the army. So they go for one year and then they go to the army for two years. So the first year is just like, get your feet wet, drink beer and eat chicken. So they don't really give a shit about their studies because they know they got to go to the army. And then when they come back, they'll get serious. And they're, then they're two years older than the females in the class usually. Um, and have gained a little bit of, life experience although it's just military stuff it's it's out of the routine of just wake up study till two in the morning wake up study till two in the morning so. did you see the interview with the um with the army sergeant there that uh korea deconstructed i can't remember his name david tizard he interviewed the high up korean generals or something and one of the questions came up um should men in the military have their smartphones while they're serving and the guy made a really strong case for having them which i would have thought i would have thought the opposite you know that's just a distraction or this or that but he said that those solve more problems than they than they cause which is cool i think i think there's a lot of good arguments for for screens and phones and stuff but the problem is yeah moderation as as everything balance and moderation and I don't know so much about control, but the, there's a lot of negative sides of phones too. So I, I don't know what getting giving them to kids at you know nine ten years old I think is ludicrous. But they're, they're just not ready for what the phone has to offer. <laughs> it offers way too much. <laughs> there's way too much stuff on there. No doubt. Uh, welcome to another episode of This Korean Life, number eighty-five, featuring Marsha Benedicta Peshke. Nailed it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, former Ulsanite, Thailandian, current Daegu-ite. 
<laughs> is that Thailandian. right? Thailandian and, and Daegu person, I guess. Um, welcome. Thank you for making uh, the early morning trip. It's not uh, not easy to get these guys to come by nine o'clock. And here, <laughs> here you are uh, arriving at eight from the land of Daegu. Uh, welcome back to Ulsan. I was we're in a chat group, foreign startup kind of kind of deal, and someone said, "Oh, I miss." They used to live in Ulsan, and they said, "Oh, I miss it. I want to come back." And I wrote a message like, "No one leaves Ulsan. <laughs> you just haven't come back yet." <laughs> Something like that. So, anyways, welcome. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming. We were introduced through the. The great and powerful Sean O'Gorman. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we were lucky enough. I've tried to go and see his performances or the um, spoken word slams that he that he uh, that he puts on. I've tried for years to to get to one. Um, by mistake, we ended up at JJ's that night, and oh, not not by mistake. I mean, there was there was someone's birthday, but I mean, we it was a, a very good coincidence that uh, that we got to see you perform and Sean perform and a couple others, and that's how we were introduced. So, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Uh, let's I'll, start. <clears throat> I was just gonna say, I I don't know if it was what you were on or somebody else, uh, the gentleman from Liquid Arts, maybe, but three or four Korean girls came. Came walking in the door and they were expecting a JJ's party. They were like, <laughs> what the, is this a funeral or what's going on here? And they promptly turned around and walked straight back out. And I thought, hmm, I don't know if it, if it was the regular time that he does it or whatever, but I thought maybe 10 o'clock or nine, whatever it was, nine o'clock, maybe the party people are starting to come. Mm. And those guys had no idea that was going on. And the look on their face was like, this looks like a Wigogan tribal meeting. <laughs> What's going on in here? No, that is, was... how, how are they generally perceived by people who aren't there for the event? The the performances yeah. that we do? Um, look, I like okay. that people maybe feel challenged by what they see. I mean, um, I know with, I appreciate that spaces like bars have opened up to us. Um, we can perform our poetry there and sometimes people are a little bit unsure of what they're seeing. Um, but I like the idea of, um, taking a space, um, you know, where people gather and maybe they're there for something else and somebody will be affected by it in a different way where maybe they'll think, hmm, I didn't expect this, but it makes me feel this way. And then it's up to them to decide what they do with that feeling. Um, so I welcome all kinds of reactions or responses to what we do. I think I probably had that feeling. Mm. <laughs> and not, again, not having been, I can imagine what it's like or what a poetry slam is like. And, but, but there's also very different variations and the spectrum is very large mm. for that as well. So I think I probably had that kind of feeling sitting there going, hmm, this is an interesting coincidence. And. We were out for a 40th birthday party. <laughs> we were like, well, how did we end up here? <laughs> we were, I like, I go, say, like, we go, I haven't seen him out in years, but I go out probably once a month, if that. And usually it's not that atmosphere that mm. I, I can probably sit on my sofa at home for something more quiet. And so I was going out and we thought there was good. And it, I think there was a big party that night, wasn't there? Or the, the after party or something was going to be a big, uh, because that bar was opening down the road. So we figured it would coincide and there'd be a big party. Mm. Anyways, we got there and it was loud and wild. And then <laughs> Patrick started going around yelling and, and then poof, 
it quieted down and wow, we were in a whole different arena there all of a sudden. So yeah, I, I thought it was a very, very interesting. When you're, when you're saying your poetry, you said you, you know, maybe some people will take something from it. Are you trying, are you trying to speak to everyone or is there the understanding that like some people aren't listening or some people don't care? Like, does that affect you as a performer? If we have to give a, a speech to say like the youth team or whatever, there's 200 kids like, 130 are sleeping <laughs> you know and 70 or like 50 of them are are like looking at their phones and you got like two, what, what am i at now 130 plus 50 <laughs> anyways and the rest of them are just you know are, are really focused in um and i try to speak you know directly to those kids does it affect you as a performer if i mean there's noise in the background or someone's someone's not paying attention or you're going up and giving the same energy regardless what's the I think um it's funny because it makes me think of being a teacher mm. and I well because of the kind of work I do where we have visiting schools mm. um I'm not going to see the students ever again and so I feel like well I'm just going to sort of in a way as a performer I feel like I'm going to advocate for myself mm. and I'm going to give you everything I have and I accept that maybe some people won't like it. It's not for them. And I don't expect to, you know, reach everyone. And mm. so I go into a performance with the idea of what are the possibilities and not with so many expectations. Otherwise, I'm not going to enjoy it. And so my hope is that people will see and appreciate what I'm trying to share with them. Mm. Um, and then again, you decide what to do what you want with what you've seen. Yeah. And so I don't have a huge amount of expectations going into it, but I am open. And sometimes I'll have people come up to me after the performance mm. and then they'll say like, hmm, you know, uh, I didn't expect that or whatever. Or this is what it makes me feel. Um, and so it's a lot of it is about possibilities rather than expectations. Yes. Yeah. What are some themes that you write on? Um, okay, so <laughs> my stuff is very heavy. Um, it touches a lot on a lot of the time. It's about gender-based violence, um, and then I do a lot of. Um, so my background is in something called autoethnography, which is just self-narrative. Um, and so the research that I did back in university. Um, it was the idea of a researcher looking at themselves, mm -hmm. deciding why they're interested in certain topics mm. before they go into a community. Um, so to be careful that you don't um, force all of your ideas onto people, mm. but that you give everyone an idea to tell their own stories. Mm. Um, so my poetry focuses a lot on that, writing your own story, understanding your history, um, the choices that you've made, where you're coming from, and then sort of setting up spaces where other people feel they can do the same. Just back to his question about uh, maybe how the audience perceives it. I think if you're doing something like this, is it is it not more to not please yourself, but it's more for you than it is for... As a form who, of therapy, who, you mean? Who the hell knows? <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to a random bar, I mean... You got absolutely zero clue if anyone's going to be interested. But I mean, isn't it about you doing your thing? And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. So I guess 
Like it's not really about pleasing others. It's not mm. to like when we're doing things, we're there to connect to the, that's our job. But like when you, I think when you make music, are you trying to make music to make, have to get fans or to have, no, you make music because that's your passion. That's what you want. If they like it, they <laughs> depends like when it. you're writing the music in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Current K-pop. Is, is that how you see it? Or it, are you there to try and please other people? If that happens, that's a bonus kind of. So I think um, what's important for me is self-awareness and it starts with me. And if I'm aware of myself, then I can be aware of others. And I do want people to see what it looks like to be vulnerable and to open up and that's okay. And I accept that for some people it takes maybe a long time to connect with that. Um, so when I go into it, I maybe it feels strange to say I want to inspire people, but I just want to create spaces where brave spaces, maybe safe spaces. Um, and so I hope that maybe if people see me sharing and opening up, uh, they'll feel comfortable enough to start a conversation. And then um, sometimes I'll have people who want to write, they come up to me after a show and they'll say, well, I don't know where to start or I feel worried about, does my writing look good enough? Do I need to do it in a certain way? And so we'll have that kind of conversation afterwards. So I think maybe by being open myself, maybe I'm showing other people that it's okay for them to do the same thing. Um, so I mentioned advocating for myself and I want to advocate for others as well. And I think maybe this is how I'm starting to do it because that's an important part of my practice that people feel empowered to maybe do the same thing. So just to kind of tie a couple of things together, mm. then can we assume that your spoken word or, or performances are based in true stories in the past or experiences or, or is that your imagination creating those situations? So because uh, you said it, mm. it was you, your stuff's usually very deep and and I mean the stuff was that we heard wasn't the idea of a fortieth birthday party <laughs> and we were like well, where the heck did we end up here yeah. I but but if that's based on, on past experiences though I think I mean extremely brave and and a ton of respect mm. and I think that would do what you're trying to do to create those spaces or whatever but I don't I I, I don't know maybe you could. So a lot of it is um, personal experiences and then observations of things around me. And I think it's influenced by being South African. Um, our theater was a reaction or response to political things that were going on, our liberation struggle. And so the idea of speaking up about something and community type of work and conscientizing that's just a part of our history and i think that's present in the work that i do yeah when did you begin your your poetry journey uh, well, like when was the first time you you got on stage what did sean was sean your catalyst <laughs> or you, you you know you, you speak about influencing other people who is the influence on you and who who pushed you to get up on stage first time um so i mm did a lot of writing when I was younger, but I didn't perform. Mm. I, I was a quiet and shy child. Yeah. Didn't speak much um, until I studied drama. That helped a lot. 
Um, and then the first time I performed poetry on stage, it was an all sun. Uh, um, and I will say that Sean had a lot to do yeah. with it. <laughs> um, it's, it just, it feels good when you have people that support you and also advocate for you. And I feel like Sean does that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he had a, he played a big role in, um, helping me to feel confident enough to share my work because it was just previously for me. Um, and it was intimidating the idea of coming out here and, um, yeah, just putting myself out there. Yeah. Um, so he helped, um, and has always been supportive. Yeah. yeah. The audience too. I know, um, I, I don't know the, <clears throat> the correct, uh, way to handle yourself if you're supposed to be totally quiet during someone's <laughs> performance. But I mean, there are people just like, yeah good yeah woo and they they'd yell out in the middle and i think as a as a performer i mean maybe that's you know when you're talking about heavy stuff that's just more encouragement to to keep going man that was a, a very i don't know who the not the yellers but i mean the the yelling supporters were but it, it seemed like a very positive environment and um where you're not set up to fail you know when you think about in some or I've heard the uh, example in comedy lots where people go up and tell a joke. Even Patrick was in here too. He said some people go up, they try something edgy, and it's just like, ooh, crickets, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I think this seems like more of a supportive, more positive, uh, more positive environment. I was gonna say I'm impressed at how uh, respectful the audience was. I might not have expected that, but maybe my party days are a long time ago. <laughs> if you walked into some of the other bars, I don't know if there would be that amount mm. of uh, <laughs> focus or people paying attention or being respectful of, of what's going on. And even although that wasn't what we were going for, and it just was a coincidence, I mean, it was it was interesting. It was something I didn't expect and something I was open to, to experiencing, but... Uh, the level of quietness was <laughs> like, don't fart because <laughs> shit, you can hear a pin drop in there. Yeah. But I think that also is the seriousness of, of or the deepness of how you, what you speak about. Um, but what if somebody does? I mean, what if it was your first time up and someone did say, what are you talking about? I mean, obviously Patrick and guys, he would get ushered out very quick, but I don't imagine that's everyone's cup of tea. And if you were there, you know, from a, you came from Busan to party with your boys or something. I mean, you could just say, let's get the out of here. Or you could do something stupid. But if you're not from Busan and you said something dumb, I mean. But it's it's probably a formative experience, does right? That, you get, does that just bounce off you? Or I, mean, I, I can't imagine if that was my first time up there, finally, you know, opening myself up and then you get one or two hassle. Just the wrong night. Just They were mm. here for something. Oh, a bachelor party or something. <laughs> they start. You know, yelling or something, Patrick, that's remote, but you don't know that they're not regulars. You don't know that they're, and, or has that ever happened even later on and after your experiences? Um, I haven't, that's never happened to me, but then I think, (laughs) I mean, I think I would just, I would have to respond in the moment. I don't know how I would, but I think from being a theater student, you're prepared because you have directors shouting at you in rehearsals and you have to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, we have to start again because of me. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, I, I don't know how I would respond in the moment. I would try to respond, not react. Um, because 
difference being one is well thinking? reacting is highly emotional and oh, then okay. you just completely lose your power i think and responding means you're listening more and you realize okay what is it i might ask what do you need just say what is it you need okay get this man 10 shots of whiskey <laughs> yeah, um, bombs. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought, like is it more like a piano recital where you just keep going and hope people didn't notice or hey, Pat, I hope Patrick gets that guy up there. because that's pretty I mean what I, I feel like when you're up there you're in the zone like the three or four of you that perform that night you're kind of in your zone and you don't want to get broken out of that that's every every performance kind of right? get back yeah but I mean every if you're performance. in the, but I mean if you screw up on the piano or the violin you just you just keep going yeah they're trained just as well in in speaking but Some, if someone interrupts I mean, do you your class, keep going, or she said she would address it. I think I, think I would <clears throat> probably keep going, and I would hope that my. I feel like I've worked a long time on having a certain presence on stage, and hmm. um, sometimes I'll make direct eye contact with people, which is maybe a little bit alarming. Um, but I think I would keep going and not totally break out of it maybe it, w- it would affect me right. afterwards but then again having that discipline from training <laughs> i would keep going and i wouldn't yeah. allow that to stop me i might have to respond in a certain way and see how it goes but yeah and patrick might step in yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and i think of some of the comedy shows and stuff i mean they're not always trained to respond mm. to the hecklers and the guys you know make but it's something you build good, over the, time, the right? good guys go, hey, watch this. I can make a fool out of this guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, they pick and choose which ones to respond to to get... Mm. I mean, they might be mid-joke and some guy says something stupid and they go, hold on, I can make a good joke out of this guy. <laughs> yeah. And then they make him look this big. Mm. But they pick and choose. And it's. I don't know if that's just a natural ability because I don't think comedy school teaches you which assholes to, <laughs> to make fun of when they're heckling your jokes or whatever. So, I think you just learn to be intuitive as well and to really listen and get a sense of even if you've you know trained and trained and trained and you're in the zone you're still um when you're performing you're still reacting to you know what the audience is giving the energy of the room same as a teacher um you can see when the students are like i'm getting tired or whatever then you have to switch it up maybe something in your voice changes or you move around a little bit more so you still have to be intuitive. No doubt. When we saw you repeated old poems that uh, that you did, does it lose or gain more meaning when you do it several times? And do you always read it the same way? Um, I sometimes on stage will have this thing where uh, I'm over this or if I'm going to perform some of my old poems I'll go back to it and think well what meaning does it have for me now and uh, I might need to something I've been exploring recently is doing some movement as well or some performance art thing before doing the poetry um nice <laughs> I've had uh, there was an event in Busan that I did where um I started in the audience and I went up to audience members and they removed items of clothing from me. Um, and then they had to put different clothes on me and that sort of sets up the feeling or it's just different for them. Um, because some audience members think that they can just sit back and maybe switch off, but then 
doing that sort of thing is different. And so maybe the poetry, the performance becomes interesting or it's new for me if I change the way that I'm going to perform it. Okay. Um, and so I definitely think, well, what meaning does this poem have to me now or is it relevant? And yeah. so I'll think about that when I'm choosing what to perform for the night. Cool. Um, and so it's kind of evolving in terms of how I'm going to deliver the, cool. the poetry. Do you have pre-performance rituals? Like uh, before, you're, before you're getting on stage, you got to like take a... Do, you know, uh, smash a beer or you know, go do 10 push-ups or something? What's I, the... <laughs> I think I just, I listen to a lot of um, music. I I do get quite nervous. Of course. Um, yeah. And then I have to make sure that my voice is warmed up. Um, but then I just listen to music to get into the zone and um, walk around the space as well and try to think about, okay, this is how people will be seated and... Maybe this is the feeling in the space. So I don't try to do too much because I want to also be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Does it does it matter if you're going first, second, third, or tenth? Does it does that change your preparation, delivery, what you choose? Um <laughs> not so much. I mean, I like to be I maybe somewhere in the middle or something <clears throat> I just because I think there's a lot of pressure. Well, being at the end, I don't like that because I feel like what if the audience is tired by now and being at the beginning, that that's a lot of pressure. And so I sort of want to maybe disrupt things a little bit by doing something different. And so if I'm somewhere like in the middle or number three or whatever, then it's a nice place to be. Mm -hmm. Could you walk us through how a poetry slam goes? Like, how, do, how does it begin and how long it lasts? And just things about poetry slams in Korea. Um, so you maybe, let's say if you have a host like Sean, um, they'll... And the thing is, I find like the audiences can be different from what you expect. Like if you're at a bar, mm -hmm. then maybe they're not the usual kind of audience that would go to a poetry slam. Whereas in Busan, I've noticed that a lot of the events there, maybe they have the same kind of audiences and they, they know what they're going to. And so um, the host will set things up, um, open up the event. They might perform a few poems themselves. Um, and then they usually do a good job of bringing up each performer, um, giving, up, giving their background. Um, and I've noticed in Korea you'll have not just poets, but you'll have musicians in between. Mm -hmm. And so I like that it's open like that. Um, and so the audience can audiences can be different. Um, you'll have music and poetry, and then hopefully maybe some dance. Mm -hmm. um, and so generally, I find that's what the performances are like in Ulsan, Busan. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the one that we went to, there was seven performances, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it was four spoken words and then a couple uh, a couple of musicians after. Mm. So, yeah, that was, that was cool. Was there seven people or seven? I think seven things. I, I saw that. It was you, Sean, the Liquid Arts gentleman, and then Patrick. And there? Patrick, yes. There was more music after that, though. More music, yeah. yeah. There was a couple uh, after When I thought, I, I was expecting like, like that you would go up and do one each. So I was surprised mm. when you guys had two or three or four 
and I didn't know I was expecting maybe a longer lineup of ten people or something. I did. I've never been. I have no idea. But I just I didn't think it would be. It was more like a spotlight or a focus on the three of you to to show. And I like that you get more than one opportunity to show kind of different pieces. I thought that was interesting. I don't know what I expected, but I I thought maybe more like like a list of maybe 10 or 12 people that would go up and do one each or something. So it yeah. was interesting to see. Usually uh, each poet would have maybe five to 10 minutes so mm -hmm. they can perform different pieces. Yeah. And then there's an open mic as well. And so people can sign up before or on the day to perform um yeah so that happens too cool and how often do these events happen here um so i think the pandemic has affected um yeah. how often it happens but usually maybe there'd be one every month every two three months okay. yeah the people were quite happy and, and thankful to patrick for hosting that mm. um is it difficult to find venues to to play it? Like, if you had more opportunity than to do it more than once a month, if you could do it twice a month every weekend, would you take that opportunity? Or is there is once a month or once every three months enough to satisfy your uh, performing I needs? Feel like mm. once a month, well, or once every two months is mm. enough. Um, I would like to, I like the idea of maybe cafes opening up their spaces mm. to poetry performances. I would like to see that yeah. as well. Um, I think that's something that happened more in Thailand. Um, Thailand has gallery spaces, mm. cafe spaces where performers, uh, you know, that are open to poetry performances. And so I think I'd like to see more of that in mm. Korea. In Thailand, is there when you say galleries, is that is it always night performances, or can you go for like an afternoon? It's session? usually well, usually let's say evening night performances because well, these galleries will have small bars attached to them as well, and so gotcha, it yeah. works. Cool, yeah. they in, work like that. In India, we used to go to a place. Usually, they happen at like book cafes. Okay, mm. yeah. it means there is a very particular set of crowd. Yeah. Mm. But in India, it's easy to find like a lot of people, especially in cities. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So cool, cool. I have been to one in India, but I haven't experienced it in Korea. So, mm. yeah. Nice. Is, you, you say one a month or one every couple months is okay. Is that just the, the build up and the emotion getting in the zone and feeling it takes that long to get up and, and get down? Or... I don't know, maybe hockey is a bad analogy, but I love hockey, so I mm. want to play every day. But is the every day, is that just because of how much it, I mean, hockey requires zero brain power, just go and have fun. <laughs> but this requires you to actually be focused and, and probably be a lot more connected to your work. Is that the reason why once every once in a while would be, would be satisfactory? Yeah, um, it's... Being able to reflect on what you've done and then if you want to write new material as well, giving it time to breathe. And um, I'm the kind of person I wouldn't be able to, let's say if I had to publish work, I wouldn't be able to do it often because I need to have life experiences, reflect on those experiences, write about them, share my work. And so that feels like a good amount of time for all of that to happen 
before going back to the stage but then if you look at it from a craft point of view mm. then it's beneficial to do it as often as possible right yeah it's true um i just i guess i don't want to i don't want to feel exhausted doing right, it too yeah. often and maybe i i like to share my work in different spaces so um even if i only perform at a poetry event once every two months i'm still taking the work into other spaces yeah 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 oh, good do you have a, an ultimate goal for the hobby is it a, is it to publish or is performing the reward um so i you know i i for myself i exist in the creative world but then also in a world where i need to make money and all of that and so i would like to publish i don't know as yet if i want to self publish or go with a publisher i i'm just not sure because i'm very protective about my work and then um how much of my work will i own mm. those are still questions that i have um and then it also gives me satisfaction being able to share with other people and um when i write I also like the idea of going into spaces where uh, I do workshops with people and mm. then they write as well and we can so the creative process is really pleasing for me I enjoy that but then I would like to publish I'm just not sure how how yeah. and which platform I will use Yeah are mm. there any like examples of people who have made it using like based on poetry yeah. like we have examples of how musicians make money and turn their art into a career right yes um so i just got like excited now but i've forgotten her name <laughs> okay. there's a south african poet and i've uh, forgotten her name but she um had her work published and she set up her own publishing company she was able to buy back the rights to her work mm-hmm. wow. um and now she's um performing she travels to countries like germany switzerland and all of that and mm-hmm. so she's um making money from her work and she owns her own work yeah, now and nice. that's sort of the dream um so i just i'm so sad that i don't remember her I name i will um let me see koleka potuma that's yeah. her name Thank you so much. <laughs> um but she's someone I look up to and she does um she's got a background in theater as well I think because mm-hmm. she is doing live performance like that and so I would like to take my poetry into you know working it into dance and theater and all of that and mm-hmm. not just um sci-fi events or Po- uh, slam poetry events yeah mm. there's man the everything's so connected now if you have any idea i think about like combining you said two two different mediums mm. there's other people out there who want to do that or who that sparks the you know that gives them a spark too and uh, and you can develop a, a following quite quickly that's awesome what is what is the space like in south africa compared to here or thailand if you could <clears throat> maybe compare what is the environment like between the three different countries that you've experienced doing this so in south africa um i appreciate that there's i noticed in the last couple of years there's a lot of funding opportunities for poets um and especially during the pandemic um 
there would be a lot of online workshops that would talk about things like marketing and publishing. And so um, there's a lot of that support that's starting to come up. And then there are artists that are, there's a digital artists that are working with poets and a lot of poets having opportunities to travel and perform in other countries. So in South Africa, I noticed that there's a lot of that that is happening, which is great because generally the arts are not supported in South Africa. A lot of our funding comes from France or from, you know, Holland. Um, so I'm not sure what funding is like here in Korea for Korean artists. Um, but yeah, funding's really coming up for people in South Africa. And so I appreciate that there's more of that support. Um, I've performed more of my work here um, in Korea and in Thailand. So I feel like I've missed out on making connections in South Africa. I don't think I was confident enough at the time um, to see myself as having work that could be shared or that my work could go anywhere. And so I would like to make more of those connections and be in more of those spaces back home. Uh, amongst your peers or, or colleagues at home, is that um, recognized? Is it, like is that common? Is it recognized that that being in the arts in those in those ways or, or with poet connected to poetry is is that a common thing or is that? I mean, I don't know anybody. Sean was the first guy I met and mm. said, "Man, I was part of the where's he from Ottawa?" I think so, or, or maybe up north. But he was part of it in high school, university, and I was like, I had no idea about this kind of stuff growing up in high school. I'm sure there might have been a club or something in university, but I had no idea. Um, what about like in, in South Africa? Is there, are, are your friends in the same kind of stuff or are you kind of the lone wolf or? Um, so I think, and my upbringing is going to affect this way. I, um, my father was German and so and he was like you're not going to focus on creative things I want you to do this and this <laughs> and he was a of <laughs> master sergeant in the army and all of that and so um, maybe that's partially why I only thought about having a creative career later on in life and there's the community that I grew up in um, in fact there were a lot of um people with parents who were like, you're going to be an accountant, this and that. And so being creative was a luxury. And it's so something that, you know, you didn't think about seriously. And so that's the kind of environment I grew up in. And even choosing to study drama was, um, you know, the family wasn't happy about it. <laughs> um, and so most, the, a lot of creative people end up becoming teachers um, because it's really difficult to, it takes a couple of years to get to where you want to get to. And so the teaching career becomes a sort of safety net. And right. so you might do a little bit of performance here and there, but most people end up becoming teachers. Hmm. Um, and so the creative thing is sort of just a hobby or it's one of the two or many things you are doing. Is that just a random thing they become teachers or do you think that's part of being in front of people, being able to influence lives, being able to connect, and, and you can still kind of perform, albeit differently, but you still get to, you know, kind of perform every day in front of your students. I think 
Um, for the people that I know, it's not just a random thing. Thankfully, it's still, I think they complement each other being a teacher and a creative. And you, I've noticed more people in South Africa do two jobs or have two qualifications. I have friends that'll maybe do business and the arts, or some of them are, you know, studying to be psychologists and they've got their drama qualification. And so um, that's becoming more of a common thing now in South Africa, having two jobs or having your side hustle and your main job. And I think it's just because we're people that um, know how to hustle and we make it work. Yeah, It's also probably smart for these days to have like one financially secure means, right? the stress from not having an income will likely affect your creativity. Yeah. Right. If you're worried about buying lunch on Tuesday, then that's going to be hard yeah. to, unless you're writing about, I don't have money to, <laughs> to buy lunch on Tuesday. That's, that's probably why <laughs> I, I, people don't become, you know, that re- find their creative side until later on, because, you know, when you're in <laughs> high school, you can be as creative as you want, but eventually you got to either go to uni, get a job or do something. So, you need that that stream of income, but I think of I was a hockey player growing up, and I think now like if you said that when we were sixteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty five, you're too cool for the creative side. <laughs> you're an athlete, and you're you're seen in this one perspective as, as this you know this kind of lifestyle. But now that you see this kind of the podcast stuff and and this kind of creative stuff now all these podcasts popping up mm. with all these guys and, and past athletes, you know, I don't have to go on the major news channel. I can kind of do my own thing, take it my own way. And now you have all these guys who are the machismo, this, that growing up in the sports world now realizing they're, you know, they can have a creative impact in the way they want to voice themselves or express themselves. And they don't have to follow the structure of a news corporation or a sports channel and they do it for a year or two and go, hey, there's too much structure here. I'm going to do my own. And now you have these guys with their own podcasts and, you know, millions and millions of listeners. Mm-hmm. That news channels and sports shows have been fighting for years and decades to get, can't even get close. So I, I, I see that happening later in life, that having the income stream to balance it out and give you a chance to make your ways. And well, also, it can be really stressful at times doing two things, but it works in my favor as well, because I a lot of the work I do is self-funded. So my teaching job, which I love and I appreciate, it is funding a lot of what I do. And in South Africa, um, when the pandemic first hit, the arts councils were offering bailouts to artists And the rollout was just not successful. And it was so poorly managed that we had um, well-respected artists who were protesting by, um, you know, staying at these art council buildings for days on end protesting. And it was just, uh, it was just so badly done. And so that's how the pandemic affected, you know, many artists. They just didn't receive those bailouts. And then there was corruption because other companies who had nothing to do with the arts, they were receiving some of the money. Oh, and right. So that was uh, an interesting part of the <laughs> status quo for pandemic yeah, rollout money there. The, I was talking actually all week about side gigs mm. and, and different ones that people do in Korea. And Look uh, at the YouTuber. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the uh, no, but food truck was was one. I ended up watching a food truck movie, which is pretty cool. But it seems, uh, yeah, side gig. I think for a lot of people, or I mean, the, the students that I talked with this week, it seems like a very ideal. Like, oh, side gig would be awesome. But then I think once you start doing it, it's like, it's not the, you know, it's it's a grind, man. It's mm. not, uh, you you know, it's in addition. So, But then if you like it, then it doesn't feel like it's a good, yeah. that's the same thing. It's a good litmus test to see if it's, if it's really what you want, right? And if it's, uh, if it's not, that'll peter out pretty what quickly. If you like it, it's not. It doesn't feel like a grind. <laughs> Yeah, I used to think like that, you know, love what you do, do what you love, and then it doesn't seem, but but I think it means, I think when you like what you do, you embrace the grind. It's not that it's not a grind, it's, it grinds like crazy, it grinds even more, but but I love that challenge and that feeling yeah. of having to work through that grind. I don't think it's any easier just because you love what you do, but I think you still have to work just as hard, and I don't mean that you love every part of it, but... But you embrace that challenge because it's something that it's still really hard to do, and it does grind and stress you just as much. Shit! Someone, just, I just heard uh, like a, a quote about that. Someone said, "Oh man, what was it?" Well, that, that's just it. When you're doing something you don't love, when you get to the end, it doesn't feel like you got something. But when you're doing it and you work through the, I mean, it can be an extremely grueling grind if you're training for a marathon or whatever. But but when you get to the end, you're going to have that reward and that feeling. Yeah. Where if you're working for somebody else doing something that you're not really in tune with. I heard someone summarize that in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it was all, it was in one nice sentence. Oh, damn it. I should have wrote it down. Oh, it was wonderful. But no, absolutely, man. man my, my brain is 90% okay. trying to think of this. Trying to think of this thing. Nowadays, it's mm. even more easier to just put yourself out and keep grinding, right? Like Instagram or TikTok. I think yes and no. I think a lot of people realize once you get into it and you understand what goes on behind the scenes, not just the million clicks or links that you go, these guys. So I think now I've seen a couple on Instagram recently where the guy says like, this can take me up to 12 hours to make a 30 second clip the way I want. Mm. How many kids are willing to put in 12 hours to make that clip? Because that's how that guy gets a million followers. But I think a lot of people just see and go, I can make videos. This will be easy. I just learn one app. And, yeah. and for oh. some people, it might be. But I don't think that's the average successful. You need the creator. consistency. Mm-hmm. But I think the the putting the time in, from my experience, making narrating storybooks, the one book that I did the quickest with no preparation, just like Saturday afternoon, two hours, like is 10 times more views than anything else. Hmm. But little, the mm. littlest amount of effort, honestly, yeah. it was zero effort. It's All the other ones I'm trying to like, oh, let's do this special thing. And it, yeah, no one watches. It's the hundred part thing. <laughs> yeah. There's a, you can, you know the expression, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a teacher asks half kids to make one really good pot mm. and asks other 50 kids to make hundred pots whatever mm. they want. And it's most likely that one of those hundred will be better than yeah, the one part that yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, maybe that'll segue into this one. I wrote down AI poetry. Well, well, just like, like are you a robot? <laughs> no, but I, I think nowadays there's a lot of that stuff out there. Like, if I show you ten pictures, which one's the real Picasso, or which ones, you know, if I show you ten songs or, or listen to ten songs, which one is perceived as the best for you, and which ones are authentic? Or obviously, there's a huge connection with real feelings and real work and the history behind it. But 
how do you feel about AI moving into these spheres? And I mean, now you like some of the two most popular accounts in Korea are fake avatar people. We who are we, we had on recently? Yeah, they don't get older. They're always beautiful. So all you people trying to be beautiful all the time, you can't compete because this AI girl online is never going to get older. So in that way, it's a losing battle that you got to go through all the procedure, everything, trying to always be, you know, your six pack or your whatever. The AI guy doesn't have to do that. He's always going to have a six pack. But if you're talking, I think I know the answer, but it's about the process of, of creating and, and whatnot. It's not. No, but the, how does it kind of taint the... It's not the end goal. What is an artist's perspective on how, like, is this, oh, this is rubbish. I mean, we don't want that in here. That's not real. It's... Because the thing is, I am interested in exploring, um, you know, digital work and uh, whether it's through like augmented reality and maybe my poem plays. So I'm interested. And and, um, what is it? Projection mapping and all those sorts of things. I'm seriously interested in, you know, working with those mediums. Um, And I I would have to hope that there's something true and real about my work that means people will still connect to it. And I'm not totally sure how I feel about AI and, you know, something that's perfect and never ages or whatever. And I don't know yet but because... But it doesn't have to be perfect. They can make whatever the hell we want. They can mm. make... That's yeah. the whole thing. The algorithms, you want a couple mistakes on the guitar, they can add that in. <laughs> that, that's, that's a, and that's what they've shown is that we don't know what's real and what's not. Mm. That, that was the whole thing of it. So mm. I just think, as an artist, how do you... Is that, uh, but I am not... I, I don't know how I feel about that if I'm, you know, maybe I'm a little threatened by it or, you know, I have to, again, hope that People see that what I'm making is authentic. Again, whatever authentic means, and you know, you know, come to my live performances, and well, there it is, and you know, the my voice shaking, and that's real, and making a connection with you in the moment. Um, so we have to see where it goes, and I don't think live performance, you know, there's threats like lack of funding and whatnot, and. But I don't think live performance will die. Um, no. You know, just use these digital platforms in a way that can be advantageous for you and use it to document the work that you're doing and to explore things in an interesting way. You can. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've talked about before about can it kill the whole creative space? No. It, it, it'll, it'll, it might no, make no, it. You can, you can produce a thousand songs a month. For the radio, for whatever, where an artist can only produce as much as they can handle. And for you, the process mm-hmm. of, you know, performing once every couple of months or whatever is. But the AI guys on there pumping out 10 poems a day based on what. And I mean, but as, I, I as the AI stuff is kind of like trying to win. As a consumer, so, you you have a choice what you want to consume as well. And if you're like, fuck this AI I feel like shit, yeah. handphones are kind of <laughs> into our lives a little bit. And like it's kind of winning. But I think as a consumer, you are there to experience and connect with the artist, right? I think you can never get that feeling of sitting in a bar or a poetry slam and actually listening to a person explain their story. You're, I don't know. What I, 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 I agree. I don't think the live performance in any in any of the areas of arts will, will disappear. But I... 
and I don't know even about feeling threatened. It'll just be mm -hmm. kind of different. But I mean, if you grow up on the radio, listening to the top 10 every night, and then you realize that none of them are actually human made songs or whatever human made, I mean, whatever, they're all computer made. Then I want to go watch the performance. Nobody does the <laughs> okay. It's covers like I cover AI songs, right? So, I mean, you can only perform so many places, but the radio's on everywhere, YouTube's on everywhere. You got I you think know, fully fully AI bands now that are some of the biggest hits on the billboards. Like it, it's crazy. I don't know who's I a, think who's a big AI band yeah. on the billboard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know the other ones. You put one the other day, didn't you? X Taylor Swift had the top twelve song. Oh yeah, that oh yeah. Do you so, so hold on. I don't I don't even know I mean I've heard her name, but I couldn't yeah. tell you one of her songs. Me neither. This is the thing. The younger generate ask the Korean kids, they'll tell you. They'll tell you who these guys are. They'll yeah. tell you who the Instagram accounts are, Twitter. They know them all. Yeah. I'm old. I'm We're old. definitely <laughs> definitely out of touch with it. But that yeah. dude, Taylor Swift had the Oh. The top ten songs on the she, Billboard. There is no one else in the fucking world that can make a song better a than her. Good marketer. She how do you have the top ten songs? Is that the state of music these days? Cancel Louise. <laughs> Holy macaroni! That was uh, that was shocking, man. Top ten? Come on, come on. <laughs> There's nothing else. He's good at business. That must be. Uh, that must be it. Good I don't know. I'm. I feel very optimistic that there will always be space for human connection like even if 100, 100, are, there always yeah. will be my I, yeah i'm i'm more curious of like uh how much this will kind of encroach or, or take over from from that where before i mean I think it was all it was all person to person yeah you went out and watched live music like in college yeah. we didn't have all this stuff we did was no youtube or <laughs> you went out and watched live live music was everywhere no, no, but we say that uh, kids are getting deprived of communities when they spend a lot of time on Facebook or Instagram, but they are connecting with other kids on Instagram too. Yeah, I think it it's finds a way somehow and yeah. people connect with. People. We'll get back to our human, <laughs> <laughs> keep it in touch with humans. But um, can you talk about your creative process? I've often mentioned on here, mine's the the lo-fi hip-hop beats uh, some dark chocolate and then some espresso <laughs> and that's and then i get into my into my uh my focus zone but what about what about you is it uh just when inspiration hits you you always have your notebook um when you when you're on the bus when you're taking the ktx over here what's the talk about yeah how how you create or how you write i guess so it's mostly what i'm in touch with at the time and i guess i try to respond to experiences I'm having or what I'm observing around me. And if I have a strong, I have to have a strong feeling mm. about it and really connect with it, especially because sometimes when I write, I agonize over things. And um, I like to focus a lot on having images in my work mm. um, because I feel like that's where my strength lies. And I really want people to sort of feel or see the things that I'm writing about or mm. what I'm saying. Um, and so it starts with observing what I'm feeling or what's happening around me. And if I connect to it, then I um, will spend a lot of time sort of, um, if it's possible, isolating myself sometimes uh, because I have to have the right music. I'll also choose like maybe an album or something 
Um, it's got to stimulate certain emotions in me, and then I'll have the chocolate too, mm. or yeah. <laughs> a drink or something. I gotta say, right. have more chocolate. <laughs> Get that ninety-nine percent cacao. So I have wow. to feel comfortable <laughs> while feeling uncomfortable because of the things I usually write about. Um, and so I, you know, try to get the emotions and feelings out, and I'll usually uh, just write a bunch of things, and then I'll go back to the work, um, try to have more structure, and mm. um, also think I do this a lot nowadays. How will it sound when I perform it? That's um, that's during the initial dump of ideas. Yeah, you're already contemplating. I'm that, already that? thinking okay. about that um, because a couple of years ago it would just be I'm not even thinking how it would sound if I perform this. It's just going to be written down, um, and the more I perform, the more I think about that. Um, and the images are important because I like to work with dance and spoken word. Okay. okay. Um, and so it's easier to create movement from that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then now and again, I'll edit, and that happens sometimes after performing, where I'll think, okay, this didn't sound the way I wanted it to sound, or it didn't have this impact, and so that's usually the process. Interesting. How long, I mean, is, is everyone random and depending on how it flows, or what? how long would it typically take to come up with a final product? Um, so depends. It depends. <laughs> and the, the thing is, what's interesting is that when I was in Thailand, um, during the pandemic, there was a point in time where, well, the school breaks are quite long. Sometimes you'll have a, a month off. And so when the pandemic hit and things, Thailand was safe for a long time. But when it got bad, there was a point in time where we were off for like three months. And so I was just sitting for three months doing <laughs> writing poetry. And so part of it sucked because I wasn't earning any money. But then part of it was also good because I really got to sit down and just write. Um, and because of my background in self-narrative, some of the poems can be quite long and some are shorter. I've noticed that I'm writing longer poems, I think, because of that and so um it just depends um there are some poems that are still just sitting in a book and haven't been touched and i'm like i can't go back to that and oh it's too cheesy or <laughs> i'll come back to it maybe months later because maybe i wasn't ready to work with it or it felt too forced yeah. so it's a really fluid kind of i, I like to be in a state of flow and so if it feels right, then it will come. And if it doesn't, then I have to go back to the work. Mm. Three months of time off is, as an adult, not many people get uh, get a chance to do that, regardless mm. of the, you know of the income. That's a that's a nice breath of fresh air from the daily grind, right? How was it living in Thailand? I've I always dreamed about going there and like I'll just be a fighter, <laughs> just go and just go just go and train eight days uh, or you know six hours a day or whatever. But how how is it once you live there? So you were in, I was, uh, in, uh, there were two, I first lived in a city called Ratchaburi, mm. which is, um, on the border with, uh, Myanmar no, sort okay. of. And then I lived in Ayutthaya, which is the old capital city about an hour from Bangkok. Mm. So moving there, it was, uh, just, uh, a big change for me because you have so many comforts here. Mm. 
And, um, you know, there are certain things that are so convenient here and so moving to Thailand. You don't have instant access to many things and the transport system is maybe more like South Africa oh. where things will arrive when they arrive, buses and whatnot. And yeah. you wait for the minibus taxi to get full first and you have yeah. to have a full <laughs> minibus taxi before you leave. And so just adjusting to those <laughs> things, um, I still had what I needed, but it took time to mm. adjust. And um, I found that connecting with people was maybe easier. Um, and maybe it was because uh, connecting to Thai people was easier for me. And it could be because I was mostly around other artists. So they're already quite open. Um, and so I had a good community that I was working with um, called Project C. And so there were different kinds of artists, digital artists, movement artists, poets. And so we'd often come together to create uh, work. We do lots of workshops uh, which is a similarity that Thai artists and South African artists have. Um, South Africa is a country that does a lot of workshop theater. Um, during the struggle for liberation, it was an easy way to hide um, the work that you were doing. You'd be like, we have no scripts if the police were looking for evidence of you doing okay. protest theater or whatever. Yeah. So there were those similarities and so... It was quite quick that I made connections. Um, I would say that teaching was a little bit challenging because in the public school system, there aren't as many resources. And then you have a different set of students to work with. Mm. So that was quite, yeah, yeah, that was quite challenging for me um, as a teacher, just having to make do with less. And, but as a performer, it was just amazing. Awesome. Uh, having something to do every weekend and meeting all kinds of artists. Yeah. Just, I think the lifestyle over there is a lot slower. Like you said, yes. it's just a different speed of life here. <laughs> Man, we've been in, <laughs> been in fast forward for 15 years. But I, I feel when I go to Thailand, I, I, any country other than Korea, that life is just, ah, like you can just not work at a thousand miles an hour. And, There's a and saying still, in Thailand, my pen lie. Hmm. Which means it's kind of like saying, Korea's fast. Uh, oh no, my guy is like you know the those fast easygoing or yeah. you know yeah. it's chill that kind yeah. of yeah. yeah. It applies to all of Southeast Asia, yeah. especially comparing it to opposite to Japan Bali. and Japan. Mm. It's I, I'm in a constant struggle in my head. What's what's the right way or what's the best way? You know, is it the what is it my lie? My pen lie. My pen lie. Mm. My pen lie. My pencil don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I always uh, I always wonder what's the you know is it is it doing it fast getting all the experiences or is it just you know my pen lie <laughs> which one? Well, I think that you say because of the artist community, but I think just in general you depend on your community more. You depend on your neighbor more. Here it's it's just do your thing like like at home. Put your head down and, and give her. But when you're in those places, I mean, like you say, you got to wait for the bus. What are you going to You better talk. There's no 5G internet everywhere you go. <laughs> yes. You start talking to somebody. You start meeting people. I, I like that part about the developing world that mm. kind of brings a lot more people together than I, where I find kind of in the West. It kind of, you find more division than, than unity in a lot of ways. I find we're, 
when I'm home, though. I mean, even going to uh, a corner store, someone will chat you up like, hey, what's up? You know, or you can talk to the guy, but I don't find that here yeah. as much. There's uh, That's one thing I do like about going home, just a small chat. Korean, it'd probably happen a lot more. <laughs> No, I've actually had a lot of. I've actually had a lot of those. Those taxi drivers cool, but that's the thing. Yeah. You're in there for five minutes. You know, if you're in the store and you know you, she knows you're willing to. You know, you're stuck there for five minutes. She'll probably engage. <laughs> if I don't but, talk to this guy, he's not going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I better do. It. <laughs> but I mean, think of the old Odang stands and stuff on the side of the road. Yeah, I used to talk with those old ladies all the time. Yeah, man, and and. Those were the funnest ones. Duck bokey on the side of the road. Mm. Chat. What are you doing? Where are you from? Where? And then all of a sudden, you know, you stop there once a week and she's your best friend all of a sudden. So that stuff exists a little bit here. But I just find in the developing world, you, you depend on everybody. Mm. You you need, you, you can't just pretend you can do everything on your own. You can't. You can't order everything on your phone. You have to go out and engage in the community. So, What kind of unique venues have you um, have you performed in? Uh, we sorry, just we asked Sean the same question, and he had like, I I don't I haven't listened to the episode, but um, I remember him saying I think it might have been in a university, and they met in like a little room and they had like little candles set up, and it was it was, it was he said it was like a really intimate kind of thing, and and people performed, and that was a memorable experience for him. Um, as teachers, we found ourselves in some interesting places. Uh, performing or performing teaching classes um have you been part of any unique venues can you talk about them um rooftops well <laughs> just i well gallery spaces yeah. bars i'd never imagined performing poetry in a bar yeah. um <laughs> oh see that, that's weird because i would think that like I don't know, just being only in Ulsan, that's like the only place to perform. That's the only, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think just, yeah, the first time I was like, hmm, I didn't think, because I also worried back then about how would audiences react to this. And mm. because I think a lot about the space that I'm in and what are people used to, um, that kind of thing. Other interesting spaces, well, I can think of a show I directed in South Africa mm. in an old lecture venue with, chairs falling apart and during the performance these <laughs> people know, are hitting the floor fall and so there's that constant <laughs> noise and then you're like oh, oh. rig gonna fall apart and so nothing too unusual but just uh, yeah danger pay oh that's wild who's your biggest inspiration we talked about uh you know sean had some uh, some push in you getting up on stage first who inspires you now and who continues to 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 push your limits the south african ladies one any other uh um let me see i i think it's just it's always the people around me mm. um because i observe people a lot and usually that's what i'm doing i'm still a very quiet person mm. um i was worried about the ride here if i was gonna <laughs> if it was gonna seem strange me being so quiet um, but it is the people around me, sometimes family. I would, I have to say my mother, mm. um, because she is one thing she always says to me is, um, <laughs> I, uh, she always says mama to the rescue because she knows how to make a plan or to fix things, solve problems and all of that. So I look up to women around me a lot. And I think, wow, you just got through that or you managed to find a way. And I think 
it's especially women who are expats, um, you know, finding ways to move through situations and constantly negotiate. Um, so it really is the people around me, not always um, artists, but people closest to me mm. um, that inspire me and just help me to keep going. And if it has to be artists, um, it's people like one artist I'm really into is FKA Twigs. Um, she's from London and she does experimental music. Okay. And so I think I always look up to people like that because I had this pressure growing up of being um, who my father wanted me to be and to not do anything too weird. Yeah. And I think I'm slowly still trying to show who I am yeah. because people... Sometimes I've had people describe me as conservative and I don't think I'm that way. And I think it's just because I'm quiet. And then when I say, hey, I also do pole dancing. <laughs> and they're like, huh? That doesn't sound like a Marsha thing. And then I think, no, you can't say who I am. I represent who I am. I choose to be who I am. So, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the tags that people put on you or that you put on yourself are important to recognize and sometimes shed you know mm. i've seen the example i always use with my wife there's people i went to school with who i think are they're um, they're capable of so much more they're deeply intelligent people who get caught in like i'm this guy i'm this kind of archetype mm. or this and they just em kind of embrace it and just run with it. And they're like, man, you you don't always have to be like that. Again, the, everyone's free to do what they want. But I always felt the, there's a couple of individuals I have in mind that, you know, if they had shed those shed those tags or not not been so attached to them, they could have really opened themselves up. But I think that's probably almost everybody at that age. We all think we're part of this or this group. Or, mm. I mean, when I went, you were either the preps, the jocks, or the skaters. I mean, that it was hard that I mean, if you weren't one of those, you were, you were like, you know, so it, it was, it, yeah, but, but now none of us are probably still in those categories and we've all evolved. And, but I think at that young age, probably a lot of people are in that situation Yeah, where you could pick up, you want to identify with maybe you, you want to identify with your high group. school buddies and say if they would have, if he would have, if she would have, sure. Yeah. What, what are the, what does your family think now? Um, now you're overseas, <laughs> jumping a couple of countries. On the most pursuing, famous podcast so, in Mugadong. Pursuing, pursuing the arts and your passion of pole dancing. What? <laughs> so I, I what? think just because of the, when I was younger, I, you know, I focused a lot on my studies. And so there was the ex expectation that I would go into a secure job and maybe have a family and all of that. And, I, before leaving South Africa, I was a junior lecturer. Um, and so that's a secure job. And then you work your way to becoming professor and publishing and all of that wonderful stuff. Get a house and all that. Publishes poems. <laughs> and I'm, uh, all of a sudden, uh, I, I think it looked this way to my family. Suddenly I wanted to, I finished my master's and then wanted to move abroad and Initially, it was meant to be a sabbatical, sabbatical year. And then I decided, no, actually, I want to stay because I feel like I'm, you know, the thing about being a lecturer in South Africa is that you are, you know, you're doing your master's and it's something you really want to learn about and put out there. And then 
the idea of just pumping out research because it brings in money and the universities don't have money. Just the idea of that is tiring and I was tired all the time. And so this is what I'm doing now. It's still, like you mentioned before, you know, it's still tiring, but it's exciting being able to do creative work, but you have to work hard at it. Um, I find myself connecting more with people and I didn't have that before because I was so focused on the job and on studying. And for my family, I think it took a while for them to um, really see who I am now because they assumed this is where I would be headed. And I'm making choices that don't seem like secure choices, you know, moving to Korea, then, oh, I'm going to go to Thailand, then I'm going to move again. Mm. Um, and I'm 35 years old now <laughs> as well. So I'm, I think initially it was like, what is this that she's going through? Um, is it her trying to figure herself out? Um, is she going to come back to South Africa? When are you going to come back? Or when you come back, I'm going to give you these dishes and these blankets <laughs> for the home you will eventually have. <laughs> um, that's, so inter- that's international. Eh? That's international, yes. <laughs> Cut your dishes I'm glad your pots, I heard yeah. that laugh. Um, and so <laughs> now I think it's something that they respect because they see that I'm putting money into what I'm doing, my time into what I'm doing. Um, but there's still this worry, I guess, of hopefully she's going to, you know, feel secure in terms of money because... That is something that I've, you know, always had in the back of my mind. But I think that's everybody. And that's it's everybody, a, yeah. a natural yeah. instinct to care or to mm. concern for. Do you think you've inspired them in, in ways that maybe you didn't think before? Because I, I lived in West Africa for a while. And my father, who was, a, he was what, the chief of the Canadian Grain Commission, federal mm. government, very, very straight and, you know, shoot and tie every day and, he came to West Africa, and I mean, we were drinking one liter beers at six in the morning and, <laughs> and eating with our hands. And like, this was shit that if TikTok existed back then, I mean, he would have been in sensation. <laughs> Take this government official in these, you know, I was working in a refugee camp and, and taking these videos of dad, you know, dipping in with his hands, eating with like on a, on a broken bench and whatever. I mean, it would have been huge hits. Um, but I, I think. We grew up in, in Canada, which is very kind of open and multicultural in lots of ways. But when I said I was going to Africa, it was, why aren't you going to Europe? Mm. Like, are you sure? Like, that's kind of really out there. I was like, well, I've kind of had these comfortable experiences for, for a while, you know, traveling and, and through hockey and this and that. But now I'm kind of free. Hockey's done. I, I ruined my foot. Hockey. Now I'm kind of free. I can kind of do whatever. And that is sounds really cool. So I, I'm going to go and try that. And then my sister came and we backpacked all over the West for a while. And then I came here and they've, they've all been here, but I think these are experiences they never would have had. And then at first it seems kind of crazy, but then, Oh, it's not crazy. North Korea is not attacking. And, <laughs> and now that kind of spreads at home where they say, well, my brother's lived there 20 years. My son's lived there 20 years. They're not phased by the stuff mm. on the news anymore that maybe the neighbors are, is your son? Okay. Oh, yeah. oh he's been there 20 years. He's, he's fine. I know he's okay. Do you find that now kind of you, I thought of like, you're actually living your life and, and you know, that's maybe what you feel held back and maybe a lot of people do, but once you get out and you start living, you, 
you take comfort that I can go home anytime and do that. It's waiting for me. I, I can go home. Maybe not the same thing 20 years ago when I left, but I can go home and fit in anytime. Do you feel that doing this or by doing your life, you're also having an indirect impact on them? Yeah, I think um, what I've noticed is that I'm more comfortable writing and talking about emotions. And that's not something that my family is maybe comfortable with because the focus was, you know, the focus is just on getting things done, surviving, doing what you have to do. And so I think initially they were surprised and uncomfortable with um, me being more open about talking about your feelings or how past experiences have impacted me. And so I think I've maybe inspired my family, at least in that way, to be more comfortable with saying, hey, I love you, or I'm thinking about you, because sometimes it'll irritate me if I don't get messages from them saying, how are you doing? <laughs> Things like that. And they'll say, no, we didn't want to bother you. We know you're busy. Um, and then with other people that I know, my former students from South Africa, they'll message me and they'll say, you know, it's, you went out there, you, you choose to, you chose to do something risky and I feel inspired to do it as well. And they feel comfortable enough to say to me, I'm really struggling with this. And um, what advice do you have for me? And so it's comforting to know that even though we're physically so far away from each other, people that I know from years ago feel that they can message me and just mm -hmm. share these things with me. That's back to what you said earlier, how people still connect you know we don't yeah. we don't meet in groups or whatever but mm -hmm. i mean we still have these connections he said across borders and whatnot over time cool i think yeah the influence of moving abroad as nate said my experience and it seems like you did too you kind of you can shed your shed your uh, your tags yeah. and and really do, yeah, find out what <laughs> uh what makes you have uh, your parents yeah. and family seen your performances um, so my, my father passed away last year. Oh. Um, I think he was secretly proud of me maybe moving abroad because it's actually something he, the life he wanted. Um, he was born in Germany? Born, uh, he, he's, he was German, sounded mm. like he just stepped off the plane. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, his accent was quite strong, a very German man. But, um, my mother was always, I say more supportive of me doing creative work and was there for every performance. Mm. Um, and now I will share recordings of stuff I've done and mm -hmm. I'll send it to her. So my mother's always been very supportive and maybe, you know, with your parents, you might find out down the line that they're also creative or there was something that they would do and they had to stop doing it. My father wanted to be a carpenter when he was younger, but then his parents, you know, pushed him into doing engineering and right. that's what he became. You are German. Yeah. <laughs> We're German. You either do this, this or this, or your failure. <laughs> Math or engineering. Um, but uh, we we interviewed one girl who, um, who visited here, Tamara. Um, and before she came... She worked at a friend's the hogwan here, but before she came, I talked to her mom, and her mom had spent time abroad as well. I, I strange, I think she was in Germany. 
Mm. I think she spent had spent time in Germany, and she said, "You know, uh, I'm worried." It was her only daughter. She's like, "I'm worried about my daughter going abroad," but you know, I know how I felt after after moving abroad, and I want her to have that experience too. So I think, yeah, your dad would have been pretty uh, pretty proud that that you broke out of um, your hometown. I guess <laughs> that's a good question. I never thought about that. How the family thinks? Mm. Yeah, I always. Uh, you guys like the podcast? <laughs> Actually, you know, know what? I got like my brother or whatever will listen to a few or we'll get messages from like random friends at home. Like, oh, I just listened to well this one or this one. Like, oh, that was pretty cool. I don't know. It's, I think it seems bigger than it actually is, but <laughs> good times. I know. I should have said, did you bring any poems with you? Do you have any? So I have my, uh, I actually have on my phone, I've got. Something. I would I would love to uh, if you could share one with us if you're uh, I'm comfortable enough is that cool <laughs> uh, so the one that I'll read is called multiple stories in me I, I like this poem because I wrote it um, during those three months in Thailand that I had off yeah. um, and at the same time I was watching a lot of movies because that's something that I love to do um, because I like working with images so mm. Um, there's a lot of that kind of feeling, the idea of um, movie stills and things mm. in this poem. Okay, so this is ready. multiple stories in me. There is a still image of me, mouth wide open, screaming in agony, calling out to a future vision of me. The lines running under my eyes are taut, low-hanging cables, sky roots plucked as if to send vibrations into me. But somehow the noise doesn't reach me. The sound is unreliable, flimsy. I climb into this image, into the scream, into the noiseless mouth. I'm in search of a voice that can sermonize all of the ways I've been. The voice grown tired of reciting milestones. As I reach into me, I see that I was never simply the color beige to begin with. A collection of film stills show that I fill in the space with proof of being alive. Certain stills show images of empty chairs and sofas because I sometimes imagine myself forgotten. An old film shows that I am vast and that when I am cloaked, I am in the shape of a castle, walled, impenetrable. Inside me lies a murderous city. In one image, I am cool girl in a cafe, she eats in a romantic way, spoon to the mouth, chocolate flake curls, heavy cream, crust pastry, fudge dream, bittersweet. This is how someone's skin tastes for the first time. In my landscape shots, the earth is breathing. A shot of the exterior shows me walking in the street. The road is hot and boiling. I am a shallow glass steamed case dropped out of the mouth the future vision of me. All of these, the personas in me, some of them seen through misty windows like blurry cars or smudged words on paper. They exist and they belong to me. Nice. Well done, well done. This is anxiety about a future self? Uh, a little bit of that, yes, and sort of being able to face yourself, even if that's difficult to do. W wondering about the about the future, the different hats you might wear. Or, I mean, what you're doing now, how that's gonna, where that's gonna lead, what road you're gonna kind of follow to the future. And sort of also 
questioning who am I really and what do I put out there and is it what I'm doing for me? Mm. Um, and just really at the idea of looking at yourself and facing yourself, mm. how hard that is to do. Mm. Interesting. So many thoughts in my head. I don't know how <laughs> yeah. to say them. <laughs> are you you or are you, or are you a reflection <laughs> of how people view you? Uh, so I think I, so often when I speak to people, I try to be more, let's say if someone's a little bit rude with me or something like that, so then I, I'm like, that's a reflection or someone says something nasty to me. I think, no, that's a reflection of, it says more about you than it does about me. Yes. And then I try to think, well, where are you coming from? Or you can't actually tell me what your need is. Because I'm into something called nonviolent communication, mm. which is I think me too. <laughs> you being able to say what you actually need. Oh, no, that is need. violent communication. <laughs> um, yeah. And just when you communicate with people to say what it is you want or what you need and don't, you know, hide behind words or mm. um, that's someone who's maybe a bit nasty. They they they're hiding behind a fear of something and they don't know how to communicate. Yeah. I, that's something you I, I've learned anyways as I've gotten older mm. that some people just don't know how to express themselves or you know, very true very true what what <laughs> yeah. no it is yeah man that yeah, is um, no, it's just when you think of like high school and how where we were <laughs> everyone's the toughest guy and everyone's mm. got this persona this image they gotta project but as you become adults, you, you realize some of your friends are still like that, but like you just never figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not about that. In high school, yeah, you're trying to get the girlfriend, this, that, whatever, but oh. it's just not about that. And that eventually, I think kind of we all we, we would all say that we kind of grow up, but and, and that's part of it. Um, but yeah, there's some guys who you you're, you're still like that. Like twenty years, you're still you didn't change at all. And uh, yeah, I, I just what are you looking at, bro? Experiences shape you and make you realize what what's important and and, yeah. and, and a, a good or a better way to live life. But man, some of these guys just don't change. I saw my friend's profile on Instagram, and I remember his photo from ten years ago. He's like having aviator glasses on a motorbike, <laughs> still posting the same photo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of movies, man, I watched a movie last night, and I don't know if you could make it these days without like the people's head exploding. It was with Jennifer Aniston. It was like a rom com, just random update on the on my movie thing. My wife's mm -hmm. like, "Let's watch a." You can't always watch something super deep, you know. <laughs> Put this movie on. It's called I think it's called Switch. So Jennifer, have you seen it? I might have. Man, Jen Jennifer Aniston is a single woman who has like a, a guy who's a best friend. She wants to get pregnant. So she's looking for a sperm donor. She finds one. She has a party like, oh, you know, I got the sperm donor, whatever. And he fills up his at the party, part of the ceremony, whatever. He goes into the room with his wife and fills up the cup with sperm. And her, um, her best friend, the guy he's all wasted he goes in dumps the sperm out and puts his own in and then oh, has gosh. the baby with her oh. and it's like a big joke like oh you know and he doesn't want to and he doesn't say anything to her and he finds out years later but like man is that not like an arrestable offense mm. <laughs> just to, to, to do that oh my god i was watching this like this is a 
this is um, promoted as like, oh, it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston, like this is like jailable shit. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh my god! But it was uh, it was such like a lighthearted movie, and then you're watching like. Like, is anyone else cluing into what the hell's happening here? This guy just, like, not falsely impregnated, but, like, he switched the sperm. But that was, like, the the joke of the of the movie. Like, oh, well, it's my baby. He does end up, be, like, taking on the fatherly role and connecting with his kid, which is good. But, God, that's a pretty weird way to, to get in. Uh, I don't know. Probably 10 years old, I think. But... I was I was watching like what the hell is what the hell is this? It's not a, the lighthearted <laughs> the lighthearted uh, movie I was hoping to watch, but yeah, some dark undertones there. Another good one though. I've, again, I've seen this movie ten years late, but um, Ameri- or I, it's just called Chef, I think in Korean. <clears throat> Very feel good movie of uh, Buddy is a chef in a nice restaurant. He wants, oh, I guess, along with what we're talking about, he wants to express himself more creatively through his food. But the boss is like, no, we got a good menu and our restaurant's always packed. Keep cooking the same shit. And then finally, they, they can't work with each other anymore. And uh, the chef quits and takes his own and he makes a really popular uh, food truck, which is cool. And makes you think about your own life and what you you know what what path do you want to take do you want to you know you 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 got the food truck <laughs> hey you opted for the food truck that's awesome that's man. why i think <clears throat> i say every time on here traveling is the best education mm. you, you get a foundation in school whatever that's great but once you travel you really figure out who you are and what you want and what you like and and uh the more you travel the more you learn about yourself and and figure out what you want out of life yeah man what are some movie stills that inspired those that point? Um, Is there any particular like frame from a particular movie? Not any specific movies. Maybe the one that I think about, uh, there's a Korean film called Poetry. And I don't remember the director's name, but it's... Bong Joon-ho? It's not Bong joon <laughs> but he's also quite... He's, he's, he's well-known. Um it's just the the movie is quite slow and it's oh it's really it's depressing it's quite sad and it's uh touchy it goes into um uh sexual assault and then paying off people for you know in, instead of taking it to court you'll sort of pay money mm-hmm. that sort of thing that happens um but it's so beautiful the main character is an elderly woman and she um decides to take poetry writing classes mm. and it's so beautiful to watch as well because she just there's scenes of her sitting down and looking at nature and at like things up close and i i think that film might have inspired this poem a little bit to really like sit and slow down um you know, we were talking about life and the pace of life in Thailand and Korea and mm. being in Thailand. Um, it's why a part of my creative practice is about the process. Mm-hmm. I learned to slow down and enjoy what I'm doing in the making of something. Um, because I think sometimes I get a little bit too concerned with I have to produce this now. I have to take on so many performances and it gets to the point where I'm just so tired. Um, and so that film 
really inspired me to just slow down. And I think it has a strong presence in that poem. Uh, and because the poem is about looking inwards, accepting that that can take a long time, um, the healing process or whatever, that it takes a while and that you're not going to just, it's not a quick fix and that I'm still healing and I'm still growing. And I used to have that worry of like, I have to get there now. I have to produce something great now. And if I don't, mm. you know, when am I going to be recognized? But that's not as important to me. Um, just connecting with people, that's more important to me because I find that my relationships with people through that, I'm growing or learning about myself. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Looking at things up close, that mm. I, a little while ago I was thinking about or uh, like watching my kids, they'll you'll give them like any little picture or postcard, and they just look at it. Like, and I remember when I was a kid, it had like hockey cards or whatever. Like, dude, you didn't inspect those mm. every little inch of uh, of the card or, or picture or whatever. But I don't. We don't do that as adults. You're 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 scanning. I mean, you're on your your phone, like. Sp- super speed scanning like you know you're not really taking in uh taking in anything that's a good observation you've made there and a nice directive work from the unknown korean uh movie producer or director (laughs) (laughs) nice and nice um could you speak about being an artist as an expat in korea because we we meet a lot of people who have their small gigs kind of setup hmm. but i think if these people were back in their hometown or i imagine like if someone like you was in india you would get like a huge crowd going with you like artists supporters as well as community of listeners because it's just more accepted outside korea so do you mean the it's the the art community in general smaller here or that your ability like to be being an artist foreigner yeah mm. is kind of a very it's yeah, more, more accepted at home are you saying no, there's more opportunity between language and, and yeah, the yeah, way yeah. That people are focused on academics and oh okay okay yeah. like Less even if you were like a good musician in seoul i think you are not getting as many opportunities as you are getting back not home no. right mm. so how does it feel like and do you have any ideas what can be done not only for poets, but like in general for musicians or artists. Um, so I will say one thing, um, and I've noticed this, especially um, since returning to Korea, it's really important that you make um, connections with other artists and that you respect each other because that counts. Those relationships are long lasting and people notice when you work hard Um, and make it known that I have a practice as an artist. And so that brings in more respect because then you can talk about your work and you can explain your process and how you work with people. And I think um, then that sort of, that's amazing to others that they're like, oh, you have a process and this is what you do. And I noticed coming back um, because of the work that I'm putting into it, I'm I'm so like proud to say that people now ask me to do things, events Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I don't always have to audition or ask. 
And that's because of the work that I did before when right. I lived in Ulsan. I made a point to go to things and to network, which is really important. And just, yeah, so it's it, it's about networking and connecting with each other. And I will say that being different or having differences, you know, it works to my advantage because people are then like, well, what do performers from South Africa have to say or what style of performance do you have or what are the things you do? And then people also know that it's not just poetry that I do. I'm interested in movement and performance art. And so that gives me an advantage as well in that I'm trying to do something different. And back home, that would make me feel insecure because back home with more talk of having a brand, it means you need to be able to clearly identify what you do. And that made me feel insecure because I was like, how can I say I do this, this, and this? And I feel like I can't put it down on paper. And that's something I'm still trying to Mm. figure out. Um, Sometimes it's interesting as well when you interact with uh, Korean audiences because I'm a person of color from South Africa. So sometimes the expectations are low. And then people will say, are you from the UK, your accent? And I'll say, (laughs) no, I'm from South Africa. So then you uh, will have those kind of conversations as well. So it's really interesting because I I don't represent uh, all people of color from South Africa. I can't. That's too much to expect of me. But then it's um, to see people have different kind of reactions or, oh, that's not what I expected of you and oh, there's something you want to do this project with me. Uh, Have you ever done mixed, you know, performances or whatever? So, yeah, it's definitely been interesting for those reasons. And I will definitely say, please, when you're connecting with people, make sure there's respect and that you um, keep that in mind because those relationships and that support will, uh, you know, be good for you in the long run. Yeah. Deadly. So your events, does the lineup of these events consist of foreigners and Koreans or is it mostly foreigners? There'll be some events where it's foreigners and Koreans or mostly foreigners. And I'm not sure if that has something to do with um, maybe Korean people feeling comfortable enough to be in those spaces. Um, I noticed at uh, the JJ's the Korean performers were like really polite, but some of it was shyness as well. But everyone was supportive of what they were doing. So maybe that comes into play. But I find that the expat community is generally quite supportive. And when I have Korean performers that ask me to do work with them, it feels good and it's never a struggle. And I think they're pretty open to working with me. I think you said <clears throat> kind of building a name for yourself or networking or whatnot. I think over time, regardless, you said you have the, you know, the, the dancing and the, and the poetry and it's hard to define, but when you speak passionately or, or do something passionately, I think that's very attractive to whatever, whatever the discipline mm. is. I think that really brings people in. If you do something convincingly and genuine. Yeah, if you're if you're genuine, I think that's the the most attractive aspect for me. Anyways, if you're painting pictures or science yeah, or yeah. whatever whatever you're doing, that's the that's the best one. Keep going. 
You're on the number one Mugudong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you live when you were in Ulsan? I lived in Mugudong. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> sweet. You made it. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, it's only, only downhill from here. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, you're good. Any, anything else you want to, uh, you want to plug any? Uh, yes. Oh, oh so, um, I let's say in October well it was something that I started in April but I decided I wanted to make a short film and um, nice. it's a movement and poetry film so mm -hmm. it's what do you call it video poetry something mm. like that um, so I spent a couple of months workshopping with uh, three expats uh, three women yeah. based around Korea mm -hmm. And um, we created some movement pieces and then we recorded some poetry as well. And so we finished filming it in October. Mm. And it's part of the reason why I feel really, really tire, uh, tired because it's a uh, doing a film is like it's it takes a lot. Okay. And we worked with the film company called Rainmaker. They're based in Daegu. And uh, we shot it in Busan and Daegu. And so we'll move into the editing process. And then hopefully by next year, maybe the beginning of next year, mm. I will put it out there. And um, it was shot well. So I'd like to, you know, submit to film festivals. Why so not? Mm. It is called Seek Body Contour. Mm. And it's just the idea of um, the body contour comes from um, my love for maps and geography. Don't mm. ask me to like read maps and stuff, but I love the lines on yeah. maps and I sort of see it. Um, I use the same idea of like learning about a person's history, their lines, their map. Yeah. And so the film explores that and it looks closely at women, mm. um, just their journey when it comes to healing and mm. self-expression and, dealing with surveillance and how to navigate through that nice. so next year i hope to start um putting it out there and doing promotional work for it this um this was a collaborate is this your poetry and the the women the other two ladies helped collaborate or it's it's so the three people together it's a collaborative mm. work um I'm the director and it's most of my poetry there's uh, another poet her name is Boypelo Seswane. She's South African and mm. she uh, has lived in Korea for quite a while. So it's our poetry. And then the other two performers, it's mostly movement and music that they've done. Cool. What a what a feather in the cap eh? <laughs> to, to produce your own um, your own film. That's fantastic. That's really good. And again, moving abroad. These are things that you you find uh, fi the situations you find yourself in. Mm. Oh, I'm writing a book. How <laughs> how should I publish it? You know, I'm making a movie. That's that's awesome, man. And maybe maybe that's where this fits in. Live life forward, understand it backwards. <laughs> you just you decided to move here, and then you look it back and like that's what mm -hmm. that give me the opportunity to do it. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Oh, that's awesome, man. What um, you said it's it's difficult. You're you're not filming it. You we worked with filming. So I worked with um, a filming company. Um, they filmed it for me. It was just I think it was new for me. Mm. You know, doing um, what do you call it? The sto storyboards, storyboards and all yeah, of that. Yeah. 
and just um, costumes and budgets oh, wow. and you know caring for three people, making sure they're in hotels and all of that because it was self-funded. Oh wow! So that was just uh, financially and emotionally taxing. I love that I did it, but it was eye-opening yeah. just to. Have my regular job and do that. It's <laughs> just yeah. difficult. Yeah, that's fantastic. And your your idea for it submitted to film festivals. What about will you have it available online? You think? Is um, that uh, so? You could do like a YouTube premiere. You I've got to figure out the platforms that I wanted to exist on, and then mm. also um, when it comes to like how it's gonna exist as an entity and mm. like the legalities and all of that. Has to be figured out. No, so you plan to produce more of these? Eventually, I I want to recover financially. Yeah. Well, the thing oh. is, <laughs> um, having this film means that they, I can then look for funding opportunities right. because I have something to show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that is the plan um, to produce more and yeah. Something we're learning about through the through the NGO is that like there's a lot of money out there, but it's, you just have to know. Or there's a lot of money available, but I mean, there's lots of steps like you said yeah. to to get it, but there is money available. And what a better way to light a light the fire under your ass and then <laughs> then do uh, yeah. then then dive in headfirst with your own mm. money, right? That's again. I think you'll you'll look back on this in a couple of years and be like, yeah, great, great decision. That's fantastic. Anything uh, or anyone else to to plug? Um, I let's see. Well, I'll be visiting South Africa in February next year, and well, the performance will be there, but. There's a university in Johannesburg, Witts University. I'll be performing there and doing a movement workshop. So that is the next thing. And then I want to take a break. Yeah. 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 No, no, that's awesome. Yeah. You good? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you for coming by. Everyone, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.